ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. We welcome you to Gospel Dynamite, a Christian broadcast dedicated to the salvation of the lost and the revival of God's people. I'm Alan Mashburn, your Bible teacher and the pastor of Asbury Baptist Church, located at 218 Asbury Church Road in Seagrove, North Carolina. We invite you to visit our church at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings and Wednesday evenings at 7 o'clock. On Sunday evenings, we provide online services which can be viewed on gospeldynamite.org. Now please join me in the study of the Word of God. You're listening to Gospel Dynamite. Thank you for joining us. I invite you to take your Bible and turn with us to Nehemiah chapter 4, verses 13 through 23. Nehemiah chapter 4, verses 13 through 23. Therefore set I in the lower places behind the wall and on the higher places. I even set the people after their families with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked and rose up and said unto the nobles and to the rulers and to the rest of the people, Be not ye afraid of them. Remember the Lord, which is great and terrible, and fight for your brethren, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your houses. And came to pass when our enemies heard that it was known unto us and God had brought their counsel to naught that we returned all of us to the wall, every one unto his work. And it came to pass from that time forth that the half of my servants wrought in the work, and the other half of them held both the spears and the shields and the bows and the habergeons. And the rulers were behind all the houses of Judah. They which built it on the wall, and they that bear burdens with those that laid it, every one with one of his hands wrought in the work, and with the other hand held a weapon. For the builders, every one had his sword girded by his side, and so builded. And he that sounded the trumpet was by me. And I said unto the nobles and to the rulers, and to the rest of the people. The work is great and large, and we are separated upon the wall, one far from another. In what place, therefore, ye hear the sound of the trumpet, resort ye thither unto us. Our God shall fight for us. So we labored in the work, and half of them held the spears from the rising of the morning till the stars appeared. Likewise, at the same time, said I unto the people, Let every one with his servant lodge within Jerusalem, that in the night they may be a guard to us and labor on the day. So neither I, nor my brethren, nor my servants, nor the men of the guard, which followed me, none of us put off our clothes saving that every one put them off for watching. Whenever the saints say, let us arise and build, the enemy says, let us arise and oppose. The context in which we're given here, 
we find Nehemiah, who in chapter 1 is described as the king Artaxerxes' cupbearer. One might look at that and say that he was simply the butler to the king. However, it was very much more than being a butler. Being the king's cupbearer, he tasted the wine of the king, the food of the king. And if he lived, it seemed that it was kosher. It was perfectly fine for the king to consume. This would have created an air of prominence for Nehemiah against the king, insomuch that Nehemiah would be bothered by news from his homeland in Jerusalem. And the king would see Nehemiah's demeanor in chapter 1 and desire to know what bothered him. Upon hearing this, Nehemiah requested of the king his help in the matter, and the king Artaxerxes gave relief to Nehemiah and even gave supplies, money, and authority for Nehemiah to go back to Jerusalem and to begin rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. That's the context. In addition to the context we've just given, Nehemiah comes and starts the work of rebuilding the walls. Walls are important. Walls are important to fortify a city, fortify a nation. And a project of this nature would definitely draw out the naysayers, those who say that it would never be done, it would never be accomplished, it would never be finished. And you've also got those who would say, why in the world are you spending so much effort and money on a project such as this? Nehemiah dealt with this, and he dealt with those who would harm him, who would threaten him, who would threaten his family, who would threaten his people's family. That brings us up to where we are. Again, whenever the saints say, let us arise and build, the enemy says, let us arise and oppose. There's no triumph without trouble. There's no victory without vigilance. There is a cross in the way to every crown that is worth wearing. Now, the real test of a leader is how he or she faces a crisis and reacts to opposition. This chapter recounts several forms of opposition and how Nehemiah confronted them. At this point, we will point out that uh, Nehemiah exhibited 21 effective principles of leadership. He was a mover. He was a shaker. He was a doer. In chapter 2, he is demonstrating leadership in the fact that he established a reasonable and attainable goal. Secondly, he had a sense of mission about him. He knew what had to be done, and he desired to do it and follow it through to completion. Three, he was willing to get involved. Four, he rearranged his own priorities in order to accomplish that goal. Five, he patiently waited for God's timing. Six, he showed respect to his superior. Seven, 
He prayed at crucial times. Eight, he made his request with tact and graciousness. Nine, he was well prepared and thought of his needs in advance. Ten, he went through proper channels. Eleven, he took time, three days to be exact, to rest, to pray, and to plan. Number twelve, he investigated the situation firsthand. Thirteen, he informed others only after he knew the size of the problem. Fourteen, he identified himself as one with the people. Fifteen, he set before them a reasonable and attainable goal. And number sixteen, he assured them God was in the project. Seventeen, he displayed self-confidence in facing obstacles. Eighteen, he displayed God's confidence in also facing those obstacles. Nineteen, he did not argue with his opponents. Twenty, he was not discouraged by opposition. And twenty-one of the leadership principles that I see in Nehemiah, he courageously used the authority of his position. The people are in a process. They're in the process of rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. And it would have been difficult and backbreaking for all of those who were involved. But it was necessary if they were to be safe from the attacks of their enemies and if they were going to worship God as his law commanded them to do. As they labored to build the walls, they faced constant opposition to their work. They became weary and they became discouraged, but they never stopped the work. Eventually, they completed the task and they were victorious over their attackers. And in that sense, you and I are wall builders as well. I speak to you today on biblical truths every wall builder should know. We are building walls between the world and the things of God. We build walls that separate our lives from the ungodliness that surrounds us on every hand. We build walls that are designed to protect the people and the things we love from outside attack and destruction. And since this is true, would you also agree with me that there are times that we tend to be discouraged as well? There are times that we become weary in the battle to build and be all that God wants us to be. And I believe that there's some truths contained in this passage that can help us remain strong and faithful. First, I would have you see that you don't have to look for trouble. It knows exactly where to find you. That's the truth. We all need to understand. It seems that trouble stalks us as we travel through this life. Of course, nowhere is this more true than in our work for God. If we're truly serving the Lord with fervency and dedication, we can be sure that trouble will arise. Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3 and verse 12, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. 
And from this passage, we can see that it will come from without. Verses 1 through 3 of this chapter, it comes in the form of mockery. Verses 7 and 8 and also verse 11, it comes in the form of intimidation. Those who do not know the Lord are often the first to attack the lives that we live and the service that we render to the Lord. And that's understandable because they cannot and do not comprehend what we're doing. And a righteous life stands as a rebuke to a godless life. We shouldn't be surprised when attacks come from without. But they also come from within in the form of deception, as we see in verse 10. These people were from the tribe of Judah. They were the first to complain about the work. And the reason is apparent when you read Nehemiah chapter 6, verses 17 and 18. They were literally in bed with the enemy. It also comes in the form of discouragement from verse 12. These people were those who dwelt beside the enemy. Those who live near and like the wicked are always among those who try to discourage the work and the workers of God. And it rarely shocks us when trouble comes from without. But when it arises within, it often leaves us devastated. Whether it takes the form of deception with someone living a a life of sin that's hidden or the form of discouragement when someone questions the motives and the goals of the church. It seems to hurt us deeply and can cause us to deviate from the course. Yet we should not be surprised when our enemy seems to work among the people. Remember, trouble has no problem finding you. But we would also see that the best defense is a good offense. When trouble came, Nehemiah went on the offensive. He took matters into his own hands. He devised a great strategy for battle. He encouraged five attitudes that must be implemented in the church today. They are, be prayerful, verses 4 and 5. Be prayerful. All of life, especially the battles we face in the realm of faith, should be bathed in the prayers of God's people should always be bathed in prayer. Jesus said for us to pray and to not faint. James says in chapter 4 and verse 2, Ye have not because ye ask not. God would have us to be prayerful. But then also in verse 9, we see that God would have us to be alert. Prayer should always be coupled with watchfulness. I'm not advocating looking for a demon behind every bush. I'm advocating the alertness to the tactics and the antics of the enemy. He's deceptive. He's a slippery foe. He's a roaring lion. He's walking about seeking whom he may devour. We should not. We are not to be ignorant of his devices. 2 Corinthians 11 and verse 14. Paul encouraged us to stand against the wiles of the devil, Ephesians 6 and verse 11. And Jesus commanded his disciples to watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation, Matthew 26 and verse 41. And then the Lord would have us to see in verses 16 through 20 that we should always be prepared. These people were to be as prepared for war as they were for work. They were to be ready for either at a moment's notice. 
While we live our lives, we are to be ready to work for Christ and to war for him at the same time. This requires us to dress in the whole armor of God, according to Ephesians chapter 6 and verses 10 through 18. I say it often, and it's true. The Bible says to put on the whole armor of God in Ephesians chapter 6. I have never seen a verse where it tells us to ever take it off. And I must say that the emphasis of the verse is not the fact of putting the armor on necessarily, but the emphasis is on the whole armor of God. God wants us to wear all the armor all the time so that we're ready to stand for him when trouble finds us. Too many of us aren't willing to wear all the armor all the time. Put on the whole armor of God and wear it consistently. But then also in verses 19 through 23, we're to be united. They were separated along the wall. And Nehemiah knew the distance between his people was a negative thing. Sadly, many are far one from another in our local churches today. Christ's goal for his church is that there should be unity. And to be in unity demands that we be in tune to the same person. When we are all in tune with Jesus, there is harmony in the local church. For example, a hundred pianos all tuned to the same tuning fork will all be in perfect harmony. And we should all be tuned to the same person, the Lord Jesus. But also we see in verse 6 and verse 23, we should be determined. Uh, this was a people determined to do a work for God. And they could not be sidetracked by attacks from without or from within. They were a people, the Bible says, with a mind to work. When trouble arises in the wall building process, there must be a determination that's greater than the opposition a heart that is steadfastly minded to do the Lord's will regardless of the situation at hand will always win the day. And the secret lies in what has our attention. Elijah became discouraged when he saw what Jezebel was up to in 1 Kings 19 and verse 3. Peter became discouraged when he saw the storm in Matthew 14 and verse 30. If we can determine to keep our eyes off the storm and on the Savior, it will go a long way toward securing the victory in our lives. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, he is the one who gets our gaze. And I think we need to be more determined to succeed for the glory of God than we are to fail. Be determined. Remember, the best defense is a good offense. Well, finally, we see from this passage some things are worth fighting for. There was much at stake for these folks. They were fighting for more than their lives, and I would say that we are as well. The Bible says in chapter 4 and verse 2, he spake before his brethren and the army of Samaria and said, What do these feeble Jews? 
Will they fortify themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they make an end in the day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of the rubbish which are burned? Verse 14, the Bible says, And I look and rose up and said unto the nobles and to the rulers and to the rest of the people, Be not ye afraid of them. Remember the Lord, which is great and terrible, and fight for your brethren, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your houses. Their enemies did not want them to sacrifice to the Lord. They did not want them to engage in his worship. Friends, there are many around us who do not like the way we serve the king. They are opposed to preaching. They are opposed to open and honest worship of a living God. My friend, what we have is worth fighting for. God is still looking for those who will worship him in spirit and in truth. He wants us to be ready to fight for our right to worship him his way. The Bible says in Jude, verses 3 and 4, that we should give all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation. It was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. For there certain men crept in and unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. We've already allowed the enemy to silence our praise. We've already allowed the enemy to empty our altars. We've already allowed the enemy to extinguish our testimony. We must fight for what we have left, and we need to recover that which has been lost. But I would also add to that that our families are worth fighting for. Nehemiah reminded them that they were fighting for their families. If they didn't take a stand, then they and their families would perish at the hand of the enemy. Friends, our families are in trouble today. We must fight the good fight of faith for them. Bathe them in prayer. Soak them in the word of God and battle the enemy tooth and nail to protect them if necessary. Of course, I will remind you that your family is larger than just those who share your name or your bloodline. If you're saved, then all other saved people are your family as well. Some are under attack right now, and it's our duty to reach out to them in love and the love of Christ and help them in their battle. We are not to attack our wounded. We are to love them and to humbly restore them in their place in the battle, according to Galatians 6 and verse 1. Sadly, many of us are ready to write people off for one failure. That's not the way of unity, and it's certainly not the way of Christ. But my friend, according to chapter 4 and verse 14, not only is our family worth fighting for, but our future is worth fighting for. Nehemiah knew that if he caved in to the enemy now, the battle was forever over. That would mean that they would never live in Jerusalem again. There would be no temple worship of God in that city ever again. And Nehemiah knew that the time to stand was right now. 
Listen to me. We've turned our heads far too long while the enemy has ravaged the church. Far too long the saints have allowed the enemy to tantalize our children, traumatize our home, and terrorize our hearts, and tranquilize our worship. If we ever expect to salvage anything for the glory of God, we have got to take a stand and take our stand today. Tomorrow will be too late. We must determine that we will take our stand for God and that we will not allow the troubles and trials of life, the attacks of the enemy and the fears that we all feel from time to time to destroy us or destroy the work of God that he's entrusted to us. I call on you, take your stand for Christ. Take your stand for our future. He desires us to have. God wants you and I to be in the wall building business. I wonder what God would do with us if we were all determined to do and to serve him as he's called us to be. What could he do with us if we took the stand for the things of God and refused to back down with a stainless steel backbone? What could he do if we determined to revive and prepare old-fashioned worship. What could he do if he was to have his way with our heart? He took a determined Martin Luther and sparked the Protestant Reformation. He took a determined D.L. Moody and he shook two continents. He took a ragtag group of disciples and turned the world upside down. What can he do with us? What can he do with us? The possibilities are only limited by what we're determined to do and to allow him to do in our lives. We're called to build walls between us and the world, brick by brick, mortar by mortar, stand by stand, stand on the word of God until Jesus comes. Thank you for listening to our broadcast today. We trust it's been a blessing. Trust you'll have a great week in the Lord. Log on to our website, gospeldynamite.org, and let us know if you've accepted Christ or this message has helped you. God bless you, and we trust you have a great day in the Lord.